2 Kings 19, verses 14 to 19. This is the message version. Hezekiah took the letter from the envoy and read it. He went to the temple of God and spread it out before God. And Hezekiah prayed. Oh, how he prayed. God, God of Israel seated in majesty on the cherubim throne. You are the one and only God, sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, maker of heaven, maker of earth. Open your ears, God, and listen. Open your eyes and look. Look at this letter Sennacherib has sent, a brazen insult to the living God. The facts are true, O God. The kings of Assyria have laid waste countries and kingdoms. Huge bonfires they made of their gods. They're no gods, handmade from wood and stone. But now, O God, our God, save us from raw Assyrian power. Make all the kingdoms on earth know that you are God, the one and only God. Thanks, Tanya. Great, uh, great message from the Message Bible. I love watching the Message Bible, sometimes the Passion Bible. It just makes it easier for me with my background and I can read a lot easier. And sometimes I just get a little bit more out of what it's saying. I don't study from there, but I love to... To, uh, to read it. In 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21, it says, Hezekiah out, carried out his, this work and kept it up everywhere in Judah. He was, a, he was the very best, good, right and true before his God. Everything he took up, whether it had to do with worship in God's temple or the carrying out of God's law, and the commandments, he did it well in a spirit of prayerful worship. He was a great success. Now, last Sunday, for those who were here might remember that we looked at the, the first act of Hezekiah, this young 25-year-old king, 25 years of age, did in response to his ungodly father, who was king before him, Ahaz. And he boarded up the temple. And he set up altars all around Jerusalem, all, at the, all the different intersections of the city. But Hezekiah, when he became king, he went out and he pulled them all down and he reopened the temple. And then had this massive worship time that says that it went for over 24 hours. Can you imagine that? 24 hours. We've just worshipped here for maybe half an hour and we're going, oh, can I sit down? They worship for 24 plus hours, either on their knees, standing up, laying down, whatever it is that they worshipped him. A great act of worship. But the king then in front of all his people, thousands and thousands of them, knelt down and worshipped God. Wow. That's humility. Let me read another verse from Second Chronicles 29. And verse 29, it says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Okay, let me just translate that a little bit better for you. God reveals 
plenty about himself. Information that all of us as as children can easily understand. But there are secrets that are mysterious about God. Mysteries about God, which will remain. They're going to remain until until he comes to take us back. Mysteries that he will not reveal to us if he feels no need to, as he's very content to be God. Isn't that interesting? He's very content to be God. In other words, take your hands off the situation. Let God be God. All right? There's a couple of ways in which we can fight the battles of life, which is what we're talking about today. We can do it our way. Or we can do it God's way. Remember when the children of Israel crossed over the River Jordan and God instructed Joshua, when you get there, how to fight and to win this battle in Jericho. You remember the story very well. Even the young ones here today, I know about the story of Jericho. It sounded stupid from a human perspective. March around the city walls each day, Once, just once every day, just all the people march around the city walls of Jericho. That's all they had to do. And to do that six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around seven times. That's a big city if you've ever been there. It's a huge city. And then the priests were to go before and they were to sound the trumpet. Now, the trumpet in those early days was a shofar. That is the sound of my voice. No, it's not. That's the sound of a trumpet giving sound for war. A long blast on the trumpet was to show people, and that would go for miles and miles around, that war was about to commence and they were to gather together. So here's these priests and the children of Israel walking around the outside of Jericho. The trumpet sounds and then God says for them to say, the Lord has given us this city. The Lord has given us this city. Man, wouldn't that be great for us as a church? All the churches. I'd rather the churches, not just us. The churches gather together and go march around our city. And then some of us who have got chauffeurs or trumpets or saxophones, we can start to blast it out. Don't you think that would get the attention of the people? And then to shout out, the Lord has given us this city. The Lord has given us Kerrang. Why can't we do that? Now, we may not, be able to do, may not do it physically, but we can do it in the realm of the Spirit. We can do it individually as churches by just sounding out the sound that God has given us this township. It sounds dumb, but it worked. And the walls came tumbling down. When Nanny and myself were in Israel, I said to the driver, we'd love to go to Jericho. Now, this guy wasn't a Christian. He was a Israel. 
Israeli who had been to university for three years to learn the Bible so they could do tours. And I said to him, I really, really would like to go to Jericho. And he said, ah, you don't want to go to Jericho. You know, they say the walls fell down. They must have been made of paper mache or something. And I remember saying to him, so people who lived in the chariots that ran around the top of the wall, it was all on paper mache. And he just kept driving. And I thought, he doesn't want to know the truth about what happened to Jericho. But that's how it happened. It sounds dumb, but it happened. Interestingly, though, the next battle, which was at Ai, unfortunately, the people got cocky. Ever notice that with people when they do something good, all of a sudden they get cocky. I, I can do this. I don't need to rely on anybody. And they didn't. So they went into the battle without seeking the Lord's presence. They simply assumed that he was with them. And they were defeated. How often do we go into our battles in life assuming that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit's in this, when he says, but you haven't, you haven't even talked to me about it. You haven't even asked me anything about it. And often we fail in our battles in life because of our assumptions. Can I, can I be bold enough to suggest that maybe that's where our problem lies from time to time? We assume God's spirit is with us. Even as a church congregation, we assume, oh, well, we'll come this morning and, and assume that the Holy Spirit is going to come amongst us in that, in that congregational power. Well, we need to ask him. We need to come, as Tanya has done today, come in with thanksgiving and with praise and then the Spirit of God, we set up a throne for him to come and to be a part of us. But we forget to consult him. And church, we're on a battleground. It's really important to understand that we're not on some playground. We're on a battleground. The more I look at what is happening in our state of Victoria, the more I'm convinced we are on a battlefield. Whether you agree with a person, I'm not talking about the person, I'm talking about what the policies are. And they're squeezing Christians out. Whether we like to believe it or not, folks, that's what's happening. And if we don't stand, we will fall. Remember something, somebody saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I think that's true. So let's be aware that when we seek to worship Jesus, even in those open expressions that we talked about uh, last week, the enemy will then try to attempt to pull you down. I, can, uh, I know that for a fact. And I know that even last night, lying in bed, I just sensed this attack. And thankfully, as I say... <laughs> Lord, you know where I'm heading this morning and next week. Don't miss out next Sunday, I can assure you. God's given me a word. But he'll try to attack you. I love the verse in Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 
So we've got to understand that. When we sense the flood coming in, when we sense the waves starting to crash over us, God has already set up a standard. We need to tap into that. Part of that is worship. Part of that is prayer. Part of that is integrity. All those types of things. But always remember, no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you can condemn. We don't condemn the person. We condemn what they're saying, what they're doing. We've got the opportunity to do that. This is the heritage, that says, of the Lord. So it's no surprise that after this great celebration of worship that King Hezekiah announces that trouble comes knocking on his door. I mean serious trouble in the form of an enemy king. He approaches Jerusalem and very strategically stops at the side of a well outside the city, the city of Jerusalem. Why the well? Because that was always the source of their supply. It would come through the well and into the streams. And so if he placed himself at the well, he could stop the streams from, from flowing. And eventually they would die. So he hangs around this wall for quite a while. And then he starts to trash talk King Hezekiah. You remember this guy's only 25 years of age that he's trashing. He's very green at this king stuff. He's mocking Hezekiah. He's mocking his army. And he's mocking Hezekiah's God, Yahweh. That was a big mistake. Huge mistake that he made. You don't mock God or be prepared to pay for the concert with the consequences. Remember the story of Elijah on top of Mount Carmel? They thought that their false god could bring down fire. The interesting part is one of their false gods was the sun god, the god of the sun. You would think if anything could bring down fire, it would be the sun, the god of, sun, of the sun. Never happened. But when Elijah prayed to Yahweh, God brought down fire and not only consumed Elijah's altar and what was on it and everything around it, but it consumed theirs as well. It then resulted in all the false prophets of Baal being killed. And then the interesting part, you think after this incredible time, Elijah would be going, whoa, but he goes into this deep depression in this pity party and said, God, I'm the only Christian in the world. And God says, hang on a minute, pal. I've got thousands of others who follow me as well. Other prophets who are expressing the word. And often, so often, don't we? We, we go into our little pity party and I'm the only one that stands up for Jesus and I'm the only and I'm the only. And God's saying, is that right? Just because you're Baptist doesn't make you anything special. Hallelujah. Yeah, all the Baptists say, don't you believe it. <laughs> hey, I was brought out of a denomination who thought we're the only ones going to heaven. They showed somebody past one day and this brick wall's around. They said, who's there? And they said, oh, that's the, the denomination I came from. They think they're the only ones up here, so it's all right. Don't worry about it. Baptists are like that too. Church of Christ, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Catholics, they're all the same. 
We all think we've got the truth. We've got part of it. And the rest is the mystery of God. The mystery of God. And so this king who's threatening with a letter, he says to his soldier, now you go and deliver this to King Hezekiah. I want him to see in writing just exactly what I'm going to do to him. Have you ever had one of those letters? I have. I have. I took it to church with me because I knew that, I knew that this letter was from the pit of hell. I knew it of the way which was describing. And I actually knew who wrote it. So I took it to church and I held it up like this. I said, I got a letter from the devil this week. And I said, you know how I know it's, it was from the devil? I can see people going, no, because he never signs his letters. He hasn't got the guts to sign his letters. And I tore it up and threw it on the ground and went on with my sermon. See, that's how the enemy works. He works in the secret place. He works in the lies. How often do we hear people say, oh, I'm not allowed to tell you, it's a secret. I've heard this out of people with abuse. I was told if, if I tell anybody, this would happen. That's how the enemy works. And this is what he was trying to do to Hezekiah. You know, when I, when I move in that realm, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not strong enough to move in the physical realm like that. I'm only, I'm only a little tiny boy. But I tell you what, when I see something that is being against the things of God, I rise up. I rise up. Because my Bible says, greater is he that lives within me than he that's in the world. And he gives me that courage and authority. But it's not just for pastors, folks. It's for all of us. Every single one of us, whether we're this young or whether we're that young. I didn't want to point to anybody, Arthur. And um, doesn't matter how young or old we are, if we know Jesus and the Spirit of God lives within us, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we too can rise up. Because we have the authority of Jesus. Not the authority of the government. Not the authority of the pastor. The authority of Jesus himself that says if something rises up against you, you have the power. You have the authority to come against it. This is what Hezekiah was facing though. This enemy that was threatening him. So Hezekiah, this very young kid, he's never tasted leadership before and a challenge like this, starts to feel this tremendous burden that most leaders feel at some stage in their leadership for the well-being of those who lead. I know what that's all about. He doesn't quite know what to do because he's 25 years of age. He doesn't have the experience. He lacks wisdom. So he reads and he rereads and he rereads this threatening letter. It eventually crushes this young leader 
And I know there are situations like that in all of our lives when we receive news of something. If we keep thinking about it and reading about it and whatever, 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 if you keep watching the news on, on television, eventually it starts to bring you down. And that's what was happening to Hezekiah. Let me read what it says in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah, listen to this, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Interesting. What did he spread before him? The written letter. He took the letter and he spread it out before the Lord. He'd been carrying it around. He'd been reading it. Every time he went to bed, he would read it. He read it again and again. He gets up in the morning and he reads it again and again. And the moment great humility and great vulnerability, he gets before God. How often do we wait until the last minute to get before God? Instead of going straight to God, we try to do it our way and then we go, oh, it's not working, I'll try God. God's not Father Christmas just handing out gifts on a, on, on a special day. He's king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's Father God. Then he says, Lord, this is what has been kicking me up at night. This is what I think about all day long and I can no longer, no longer handle the threat from this foreign king. I cannot handle it alone. So he spreads it out before the Lord and he asks God for help. Question, what are you spreading out before the Lord? What are you spreading out before the Lord? What is it that you are so worked up about, so worried about, or keen to see happen in our community or in our church or personally maybe in your family? that you may need to literally spread it out before the Lord. I know personally I've been doing that over the last two years now, and I know Anne does the same. And I'm blessed to be able to say that it's working. It's working. I'm seeing progress. Not totally, but I'm seeing progress. But I'm honouring God in the midst of it all because it's the very thing that keeps me keeping up at nights when I see these things and I, I worry about people. And God says, I'll do the worrying. Don't worry about it. Spread it out before me. Been doing that for a, lo a long time. Is there anything in your life so intense? So important that you would do anything like this to make it happen? Last year, sitting in my son's work office, having lunch with him, I said, who are you wrestling with in your business, mate? And he shared a whole lot of stuff with me about what was happening in his business at that time. It was really going south. And he was going deeper and deeper into debt. And I said, son, why don't you spread it out before the Lord? And I'll do the same. And we agreed together to do that. 
And I want to say God is showing him miracles, and I mean miracles. When another faith comes to him, who's one of the, his contractors, and said, you owe me $10,000, but I want to wipe it. And he's not a Christian of another faith. That's a miracle. And to see other things happening, and he's now he's gradually getting back onto his feet again and going in the right direction. In fact, we did the same with our daughter just a couple of weeks ago. She got an answer within a day. God works miracles. He's in the business of doing miracles. Not just for, not just for us, for all of us. You see, pastor's no special person. All he has is a, is a gift that God has given him to do that. You've got gifts too. So we're all special in God's sight. It's interesting, God never ever took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego out of the fire. Did you know, ever notice that? What God did was, was to break their chains that bound them and they walked out. They walked out. God was not only with them, but he was around them as well. He cut the ties and we are able to walk free. What are you struggling with today? Hezekiah prays a prayer that seems in some ways outrageous. And God intervenes and says to Hezekiah, you will not have to fight. I will fight for you. You will not have to lift a finger to defeat this king who is coming against you. And then in verse 34, it says, For I will defend this city to save it for my sake. For my sake. I can imagine Hezekiah and his youthfulness saying, Yeah, Lord, right, okay, so I can go back now, get on my iPad and my whatever, whatever, and just relax. No, 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 no. No. Look at what God did. In 2 Kings 19. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the Assyrians, 185,000. And when people arose early that morning, there were dead people everywhere. Shenagarakabakabakabaka, whatever his name is. We'll call him Shek or Sen. King of Assyria departed and went away, returned home. And he remained there. I love those last four words, and he remained there. I would say probably scared to death. I would have stayed there too. Question, why does God at times expect us to fight our battles and other times he fights for them, for us? I'm sure that each of us here today could testify to both. There are times when I've had to fight this battle and there are times when God's done it for me. Why does God prosper some and not others? How come, Tim, you've got a million dollars in the bank and I've got five dollars? You better talk to Brooke about that, sorry. (laughs) How come? Does he trust him more than he trusts me? Because there's, there's so many different examples in the Bible where it says that God will prosper his people. But does that mean it has to be financially? No. Because some he prospers in health. 
Some he prospers in relationships. Some he prospers in family life or whatever it might be or in music or whatever it might be. He'll prosper us in the way that we need to be prospered. Why sometimes and not always? Well, if you're wondering why, this is your lucky day because I've got the answer. I have a three-word answer. I've got a four-word answer. And I've got a seven-word answer. And I want you to lean forward and listen. They're very, very, very good. My three-word answer is, I don't know. I don't know. My four-word answer is, his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is totally unsearchable because it's so great, we can't search it. It's part of the mystery of God. And my seven-word answer is, the secret things belong to the Lord. I don't know why he prospers Tim and he doesn't prosper me or whatever. I don't know. All I know is God does what God does. There have been so many times where I've had to let God be God and let him do what he does best, fight the good fight, particularly the ones that I can't. But if it's not going to deter me from spreading out my concerns before him, it's not going to deter me. Simply because he's not answering the way I want him to at the time, it's not going to deter me from saying, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. I'm going to be like that nagging woman who came to the king. I'm here again. I'm here again. I'm here again until God says, oh, I'm going to give it to you. You know what I mean? God is a good God. I'm going to continually to ask boldly of God for his supernatural intervention in my life every time I come before him. Because I know, because I know that he's God. And he has my, our greatest interest at heart. He's got your greatest interest at heart. He's not interested in, in Les more than he's interested in you, Tanya. He's interested in all of us. You know why? Because of this. Because of the cross. Why on earth would he go to the cross if he wasn't interested in you? That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves us, his church. But I know that there will be times out of God's sheer love for me and his grace for me, he will fight the battle for me. Because there are times, church, in our lives, and I'm sure you've experienced as much as I have, you get to that lowest point and you don't feel like God, I just want to praise you. I just want to worship you and I, I'm struggling. And that's where the Spirit of God comes in with groans and he presents them to Jesus, who's our great intercessor, and he presents it to the Father. It's like Jesus said, Father, Paul Downey, he's, he's struggling at the moment. He he just can't seem to get the words out. And the Father says, I understand. And I love him. I love you. With an abundance of love. So church, what is it today that you need to spread out before the Lord? What is it?
Can you simply say, God, I can bring this to you and name it? You might have to do what I've done on several occasions is write it out. So here it is, Lord. Spreading it out before you. For some, it will be writing out and taking it into your secret place of prayer. For some of you, you've got that. For others, it may mean having a friend who together you can spread it out before the Lord. Get somebody who you trust, who you know would pray with you and for you. Spread it out before the Lord. It may be a, a friend. It may be a family member that you're struggling with. Maybe somebody at work. You're saying, God, how do we deal with this? Can you deal with it? As I invite the worship team up, if you'd like to come up now. Let me say this. Praise and worship is a major key in breakthrough. I know as I was over here last night praying, I'm just saying, God, we want to break through this morning. And I even sensed as we were singing, that's why I got the team to sing that song again, I praise the name of Jesus. I just sensed that we were starting on a breakthrough. I had tears in my eyes saying, God, is it about to happen? I don't want to leave this church until we have revival. So you better hurry up, God. <laughs> but I want you to make some of these songs that we're going to be singing now, particularly ask Tanya to have the worship time at the end today because we're, we're looking to break through and worship is the way in which you can do it. Next week, I was just saying to Max before the service, Normally it takes me about 15 hours, even more, to put a, a sermon together. And I was sitting down on Saturday. I had nothing to do on Saturday. It was wonderful. And uh, I was listening to a, to a podcast or something, and God said, that's it. And within four hours, I had the sermon ready to go for next week. And I believe it's something that, God is encouraging us to do that we need to be warriors of worship. So don't miss out. Come back next week. Bring a friend. Drag them off the streets. Do whatever you have to do. Praise God. Let's, let's worship together.